Um, so it's Janelle and I up here today, which is a little different. She's shorter than me, which is different. <laughs> but I, we thought it would be awkward if she was on the tall, like the host. I'd be too I'd tall. I'd be too short. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, um, as I've said a few times already this morning, we decided to take this first Sunday of Pride Month to think about, learn from, and pray for, and with all the incredible to us LGBTQIA people in the world, um, and in our families and communities and in this room. Uh, so I'm queer, and it's my first Pride Month as a pastor. Um, I've, been, yeah, I've been thinking about this as much as I can these days, um, with a deep awareness that being queer and being a pastor it doesn't mean you know that much about being queer or being a pastor. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I still have so much to learn. Um, but I, I think that's a good thing, to just keep learning. Um, a couple of weeks ago, the Leadership Collective had a supper with some of us newer folks uh, to get to know each other a bit better and talk about the history of SCC. Uh, who are we? Uh, and just yesterday, a few of us were tripping over the SCVSCC switch. <laughs> um, and yeah, if you look around the room, I mean, the vineyard name is still on our offering envelopes. Uh, it's still on some of our email, <laughs> um, email stuff. But um, yeah, it pops up from time to time. Uh, we were a vineyard church. That is true. Um, and we, we left the vineyard church because of their explicit exclusion of queer people. Um, that is still really painful terrain for a lot of um, there's a lot of pain and broken relationships that happened through that. Um, the good news is that we're not the only church that left. Um, and lots of other congregations are leaving their founding denominations for this very reason. Um, and so even though there's pain and broken relationships when that happens, uh, I do believe that it's a good thing. It's a good thing if it means that there are more safe and loving spaces for LGBTQ people in churches. So I mentioned the supper because the story of why we left the vineyard is a key part of who we are and who we want to be. And that night, Walter talked a bit about how over time this community changed its understanding about sexuality as a result of relationships with queer people who were clearly suffering because of the teachings of the church. Um, and the leaders of, of this community um, saw the negative impact those teachings had on people, and they allowed those experiences to change them. Um, and I think that's the most we can ask for, is to allow our encounters with others to, to have an impact, to change us. Um, yeah. So Walter and I <laughs> but um, it really stood out to me at that point about remaining open to change and responsive. Um, and I wanted that to be a bit of a, a, a high note in this uh, talk today. So the history of Pride is incredible. Um, the, first, the first Pride was a riot, the Stonewall Riot, which erupted after a police raid at a small bar in Manhattan on June 28, 1969. Uh, police brutality, particularly towards trans folks, ignited an uprising that lasted a week. 
And one year later, the first Gay Pride Liberation March was held to commemorate the one year anniversary of Stonewall. And that tradition lives on. So today, Pride continues to be a profound act of courageous resistance. And I think it models a way of walking the path Jesus walked. In 1 Peter 3, 9, we read, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Um, and if you've ever been to a Pride March, you've experienced what it looks like to repay evil with um, last year, Peter Fitch shared a short blog post he had been asked to write uh, for Pride Month, and in it he wrote this, Pride is a creative response to the horrible violence and injustice that has been directed at LGBTQ plus people over the years. Jonathan Larson, writer of the Broadway play Rent, said, quote, the opposite of war is in peace, it's creation, end quote. When you think of all the hatred that has been poured out on people of minority sexualities, I think it would be possible to imagine a different kind of response, an appropriate hatred, a desire to return evil with evil. Instead, there is pride. People taking to the streets to declare their truth, their worth, their value, and doing it in a lively and happy way. I wish that people in so many areas of life could learn from this example. That's the end of Peter's quote here. Uh, so there's so much to be learned from the queer community, and like I said, I am still learning. Um, uh, as you've likely picked up now, uh, Nadia Bolz-Weber is one of my favorite contemporary theologians, um, and I want to play a video of, of her sharing some of her thoughts on what she calls the new dimensions of God revealed to her through the LGBTQ friends in her community. Uh, so we're going to watch that. It's about four minutes. I do actually feel like I've learned about God and about what's holy and about Jesus through the privilege of having so many like gender queer and transgender people in my congregation. It's given me a whole different lens, um, and I'm so grateful. I see I see stories in Scripture differently now. Well, I mean, you can't you can't look at, at, at a text that talks about somebody who's on the outside without understanding the way in which people who are on the outside in our society experience power dynamics. And I mean, it's just, it, I, I can't stop thinking about it. Or the way, the language we use for God, the language we use in the liturgy, all of these things. So I feel like, there's this experience of the outsider that I get, that I'm privy to a tiny bit just by pastoring people who are, who are trans. And I'm really 
shown, I've experienced tremendous um, mercy, actually, uh, such grace uh, about, I'll get pronouns wrong, or I'll use the wrong word for something, and, and they're so loving with the way that they sort of educate me, which I'm really grateful for. So, um, and they're such, I think they're, the people in my parish who are, who are trans end up, you know, in a way, like, you know, you know what's really queer is being like God and man at the same time, right? There's this thing about Jesus is like this uncategorizable, does not work in the categories uh, person. And so to be around other people who do not work with the categories, you can't put them in the categories. There's something that reveals Christ in that that I feel like I have to pay attention to. Um, and it's an honor. I mean, it's an honor to be in community with these people. What do I hear? Have you gotten to their Like, what, what would you have missed out on Jesus and God without their eyes and ears and voice that has been transformation for you? And how would you become more Well, because if something in the categories, you have to let go of dualistic thinking, right? And, and we're wired in this way. Things are either male or female. They're either black or white, they're good or they're bad. And so, Adam and Eve. So, um, and we're so stuck in that, you know, in wanting to put things in one of two boxes. And yet, <laughs> and yet, I feel like Christ is always, people are coming to him going, hey, I followed all the rules, I did the right thing, and he just comes at it this sideways way and goes, you're looking at it wrong, you know? And so, we're looking at stuff straight on like this, and Jesus is looking at it sideways going, there's, there's this other way. So it's like that third way that is clear, right? It doesn't, it doesn't work in that black, white, good, bad way that we're wired to think, and so, to get to be around people who don't fit neatly in the categories allows us a, a, a lens into that that I found actually beautiful. I mean, I'm really grateful for it. I mean, I'm getting eaten by something. <laughs> it's the Holy Spirit. <laughs>
There's another encouraging thing happening in St. Stephen soon, too. Um, I'm thrilled about it, and anyone I mention it to has been as well. Holly and Marissa and Stell are, um, have had a, had a dream for quite a while of starting a queer youth group, and uh, they are going to do that this week, in this room even. Um, and I think it's another way uh, um, that, that you'll repay evil with a blessing. And that blessing is your inheritance. Um, so as an intro to Pride Month, I wanted to invite us to consider how we might continue to participate in the ongoing formation of this community that longs to co-create an inclusive church that celebrates and nurtures and breathes life into the hopes and dreams and lives of all the lovely queer folks among us. Um, as a part of that, I've asked Janelle to share a bit of her story with us today. Um, and I want you to know that I only asked Janelle because I know her enough to know that she has wanted to. Um, and I've had a front row seat to Janelle's life for quite a few years now, um, which has been a wonderful thing to watch. But this last year in particular has awed me. Um, so I invite you to be awed with me today. Even though maybe it's something I thought I'd want to do, it doesn't feel less vulnerable up here. <laughs> so just bear with me. Um, so just to give you a brief snapshot of what I'll be covering um, this morning is, is when I was thinking about this and thinking about my story, I kind of see it in, I've come from a sheltered conservative evangelicalism uh, background mm -hmm. to being an enlightened and loving ally to our LGBTQ plus two-spirit friends, um, to exploring my own sexuality without much hesitation or fear. Um, so that's, that's been the journey I've been on, and I would say the first two parts of that were a lifetime the last part has been fairly recent and quick <laughs> um, and mildly overwhelming at times, but all that background work, I think, has helped prepare me for a relatively smooth transition. So, like I said, I was raised uh, in the Dutch Christian Reformed Church, and I attended private Christian schools predominantly of the same denomination, from junior kindergarten in Ontario, that starts for me at the age of three, through to grade 12. So I wouldn't say I ever grew up in a homophobic environment, but I can say I wasn't exposed to anything much other than the heterosexual norm. Um, and anything that diverted against that was just not around me. And I was definitely taught relationships are meant to be between a man and a woman, um, romantic ones. So fast forward to post high school, I was basically just a baby still though, when I moved here to St. Stephen at the age of 17. Um, so fairly impressionable still, meaning I was eager to learn new things and ways of thinking and being, and yet naive to not knowing what I was in for. Um, having had the experience of a fairly set um, belief system previously. 
So my first number of years here, I observed from the sidelines, um, absorbing the wisdom and the love along the way, as well as bearing witness and participating in some ways in this community's navigation of fully embracing an affirming space and stance, which led, as Jeff said, to lose our partnership with Vineyard Canada. So during this time, I was also encountering people um, that were not heterosexual for the first time. Um, so community members and friends um, living their lives and their true selves, being fully known and loved here at the university and at um, our church here. And, and at the same time, I had a cousin of mine, a close cousin of mine, come out in our family. Um, and it was beautiful and wonderful for the most part. Um, so this really helped me to think wider um, and embrace new ways of believing that I hadn't encountered yet. So the other started to become just another, like you and I, and really just that reality that there is no other. Um, so framing it that way, this learning sounds a little bit idyllic and smooth, but the reality was I also was frantically fumbling through um, my theological deconstruction at the time. So it was scary and messy and uncertain, to say the least. Um, but one of the mo one of the solid foundations that remained under me throughout it all um, was the simplest and most profound thing, love. To just love. Um, I never ceased to believe in love, whether that was God herself or some other named being or thing. I just knew if I lived a life striving to and for love, I was living the good life that I was taught I was meant to live when I was a child. So focusing down on that newly stripped down idea of, of love felt far less complicated than the rules and regulations I thought I had to follow. Um, I have been flipping through Peter Fitch's books recently again, so I, I found this quote um, this week from his first one, Learning to Interpret Toward Love, that I really felt hit the ethos of, of this place and end my experience, so I thought I'd just read it this morning. He writes, Firstly, I'm, gl I'm glad that the Bible is not a rule book. What it offers is far better. Within its pages, people can learn about God and can meet with God. They can have their hearts broken for the poor and for their own failures, and they can be built into people who freely love others. The Bible provides an atmosphere that helps us change and grow, but it does not do this if we remain locked within a childish perspective of trying to obey it every, its every whim. Instead, we are meant to become mature as we go through life, learning from those who have gone before. We learn to balance the messages and see the thing to do that has the chance of bringing a beautiful result. So learning from this, learning from Peter, learning from this community, um, and encountering people really brought me to a stance of full, unwavering allyship. So even though, like, I was still figuring out what I actually believe, it was like, love always remained, and without a doubt, in my mind, we are meant to be anything but inclusive and accepting of our LGBTQ spirit friends um, and that, that was a huge part of, of my deconstruction and my time here. 
So I knew my being was aligning with this on a deeper level than I could even fathom when I had a couple extreme heartache experiences in churches where clear lines of exclusion were being drawn and I was present to them. One of which happened to be at the Winnipeg Center Vineyard um, with Jeff in 2018. Um, I was there with her on the day their letter of decision to exclude uh, was presented to their con congregation. And my, my body responded with full, uncontrollable emotion. I could not... I can't confirm. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't contain the sobs all morning and even later that evening, and it wasn't even my church. I only knew Jess in that room that day, but something in me broke when I was hearing the blatant alienation of the LGBTQ plus A2 spirit within the church, the church capital C. Being the place I'd learned and wholeheartedly come to believe to be the place that should be one of welcome and safety, love and belonging. I couldn't stand it to be anything else even in a room full of strangers. The most recent time was last June, 2022, here in SEC, when Wendy Gritter shared on Pride Sunday, um, the week after the denomination of hers and my roots, still chose to exclude LGBTQ plus A2 spirit peoples in their North American churches. That one hit closer to home for me. I had spent the week prior following updates from their synod, which is their annual decision-making meetings, following updates, talking to family, cousins, who, you know, also are allies and just the heartache, um, and then listening to Wendy was really hard once again. Um, while I was also in the week and the day before here with our youth group preparing Posters for our Pride March took them to the Pride March in Charlotte County, and that stark difference of what seemed like two different worlds was hard for my being to hold. Once again, my heart broke, and I couldn't hold it together here in this room, and the depth of that heartache was just so unreal. Um, so I know within these big decisions, there are individual church communities that are the anomaly, and break away from these harsh decisions and continue to fight and advocate for equality, like we did here at SCV, now SCC for years, or the former Montreal Vineyard, which stayed on a little longer after Vineyard Canada made their clear line to try to advocate, but eventually also parted ways. Um, when I was talking to my mom uh, the week or two after Synod had happened, she told me that their pastor, who I hadn't even met yet, was, was new, had taken to the pulpit in her pride shirt, rainbow love written across her front, and, and knowing that that community too, even though they're still fierce, they're advocating and they're fighting. Um, and that's hope. That, to me, is hope in the heartbreak. So, lately, I've been thinking that these experiences may have had a bit of a deeper meaning within me, as I found myself recently beginning to explore a new part of my own sexuality. So from my upbringing and even through my time of learning about allyship and full inclusivity, I didn't think otherwise of heterosexuality for my own life. The picture in my head and heart for my life was to get married, 
fairly left again, as the evangelicals do, um, to a man, <laughs> have a few kids together and create a family life similar to that one I was raised in. Life is funny sometimes. <laughs> uh, so during my 20s, I definitely longed for partnership for my life. I chose to live here in a teeny tiny town. <laughs> set myself up for success. <laughs> but I found home, and I found love and belonging in this community. And I knew I wanted to continue to learn and grow among you all here and pour right back into this place and its dear people. So this fulfilled me for the most part, but there was always a hole, because it, it wasn't just happening out there for me. And I did try to find it. So, I won't dwell too much on the nature of the dating world, <laughs> but for those of you who aren't in it, consider yourself very luckily lucky, because <laughs> it's hard work out there, and it was far from fun for me. Um, I really struggled. I experienced so much anxiety, which isn't out of the norm, it's a default emotion of mine, but I never wanted a second date, let alone more. Um, but I would push myself out there again and again, trying to keep, to keep trying. I basically loathed it, dating, but in order to find partnership, I needed to go through this part. So I kept trying. And it feels a bit strange to talk about my dating life in church, <laughs> but I have a point <laughs> that I'm trying to get at. And that is I never felt any to men, and it took me a while to realize it was this, not simply my anxiety. So I slowly and somewhat reluctantly started rethinking my sexuality. All of us around each other here are talking about it every other week, it seems, so it's not, not a hard thing to think about. Um, but personally, thinking about it for myself and breaking away from those preconceived straightness, I thought I was uh, raised, that I thought I was, and, and that idea that I was raised in, I started to wonder, what if I'm doing it wrong? So, I didn't speak this out loud, externally, hardly at all. <clears throat> I had said it once to a cousin a few years ago. We would catch up every few months, and after that, first conversation, um, she'd so gently follow up with me and ask how I'm doing and if I'd still been thinking about that thing I said to her <laughs> in our few brief conversations. And she always would say to me, again, by always, we probably had like three conversations, I really didn't talk about this a lot, <laughs> but she would say, you don't know until you try, Janelle. And this became a quiet narrative within me until I really was ready to try. This process took a lot of time, however. I had to unravel the narrative I had for myself in my life. And it wasn't an unraveling of a significant part of my identity. I thought it was straight, remember? <laughs> um, and this was a hard thing for me to shape. I didn't understand at first how I could not know this about myself. Um, I knew individuals don't choose their sexuality, but I also always thought they knew their sexuality. <laughs> um, 
slowly started to process it um, with this same cousin and, a, and one other cousin, um, the only two people I had told at this point, it was starting to make a bit more sense to me that I wouldn't have known. And it could actually be worth trying. Between the culture I was raised in and my personality that doesn't naturally question things I'm told too quickly, especially when I was younger and the things that were impressed upon me while I was younger, it takes me a little longer to rethink them. I started to understand how it was something that slipped under my radar and I'd been stuck in a heterosexual narrative. So, I eventually became brave enough to just try. My close friends didn't know a thing about any of this yet, and they usually know everything about my dating life, as I always needed a whole support system out there in the dating world. <laughs> I have my own personal relationship doula, doula trio from three of my people, this one being one of them, who has helped me through. And another close friend, I won't name any names, but I moved out of her house this week. <laughs> um, <sure. laughs> when I disclosed it to her, what I was thinking about, only because she asked how dating is going, um, and I was like, well, <laughs> Um, she disclosed to me that she'd started wondering already herself that maybe I should try dating women. Um, but she was really being like, should I tell her? Or like, there's no math for friends or ourselves. Um, but I'm really glad she didn't say anything to me because I needed to come to it on my own terms and, and really feel ready. But I'm so grateful she said it because I still thought at that time I was mildly crazy um, and that this wasn't a thing to try and it wasn't right and I don't like being wrong. Um, but I really felt relief. You can ask her about my face when she told me. <laughs> Apparently it was priceless. Um, I felt a lot of relief and encouragement an affirmation to be doing what I was doing, just hearing that someone who's close to me and has heard and seen my struggles for years was already onto this before I was. Um, so that quiet, quiet narrative of mine, you don't know till you try, was becoming louder and louder. So when I actually did try, the difference was like night and day. I couldn't believe it. But dating was fun and exciting. There was connection and chemistry, whatever you want to call it, rather than dread, disinterest, and panic attacks. Amazing. Right? <laughs> A lot of panic attacks prior to this. Um, so all those positive things about uh, people have been telling me for years what dating was like, I was finally experiencing them. Um, it certainly was a big aha moment in time for me, and they're like, so I had been doing it wrong all along, was the thing that I was realizing. Um, so that switch in me really had me start thinking about the reality of we don't choose our sexuality. Um, because I really 
tried <laughs> to be the one that I thought I was. Um, and that wasn't my truth and wasn't working for me. So I also don't understand another unique thing about my story here is I don't relate to the term coming out as I never felt closeted. I maybe was closeted for myself, um, but once I realized maybe trying to date women was worth it a try, I chose to explore. And because I was surrounded by a loving and supportive community, I didn't feel fear or shame to do this thing, besides the usual pre-dating jitters. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't get rid of those. Nor did I feel fear or shame to share my exciting news with those around me when I discovered it was the right thing for me and I found myself in a relationship. I wasn't flaunting it around the streets, mind you, but I didn't feel the need to hide or come out, so to say. I wanted this new and exciting part of my life to be the most normal thing, as it should be. And I didn't want the fact that I was dating a woman to be a big deal. The big deal was I was happy and excited to be in a relationship. Those closest to me knew how significant that was. And my favorite way to tell people at the beginning was, so I'm seeing someone, and her name is, just sneak it in, as casual as possible. <laughs> Knowing, for the most part, I'd, met, I'd be met with joy and support. And I'm so fortunate this has been my story. That sharing with my friends and family overall was a positive and fun thing to do. That I wasn't worried about it starting to get out around the community. We know how things eventually spread around here. Or that with most anyone, if I share, chose to share this personal information about my life, it and I would be met with love, joy, encouragement, and all the support I could imagine. My partner and I both. So this community is a huge part of that, and this community is what made Pride possible for me, and that's such a gift. So thank you. Um, I think one of the ways that was so smooth for me is my understanding and my coming to allyship and walking with this community for so long before that, that when I chose to be ready, I knew I'd be met with nothing but pride, right? And joy. So all the while through my experience, even though it's been very brief time already, I've been aware of its uniqueness compared to many of those before me. The freedom and joy I could experience right from the beginning as I, as I explored my sexuality and introduced my partner to those around me is unfortunately not the normal story here. But I long for a world where this is the norm. I think we're getting there. This community, my experience, is an example of that possible reality, the possibilities of pride. And I couldn't be more encouraged or grateful for this. If we look around the world, there's still a lot of work to be done. But when we look around this room, we do see what is possible. And I thank you for you and for this place and for the many things I've learned here and continue to be 
that's just a snapshot. <laughs> and uh, Jess and I thought too, if we had a few minutes, we could open it up to response or questions or anything like we've often done before, I think. Or do you have anything to add? I have nothing to add, but I'm so proud of you.
basically be on the bandwagon of, you know, no, you, you know, you can't be this, you can't be that, you know. And it became, I became very vitriolic with my criticism of homosexuality. And until one day, I read an account from a parent whose child had committed suicide, a trans child. And it just, just broke me in two, like on the spot. Because like in French we say, il when it's so f cold that the stones break in two. And I was never the same again. I was just like standing in the ruins of my own uh, advocacy, which was based on lies and hatred, unknown sources and, and, and it's like it was a well that just kept pouring and pouring out like this dark stuff about myself so and, and nobody could have forced me or no group think could have convinced me I had to face my own darkness and from day one I started being completely different and just say whoa this is just like slavery, this is just like racism. It's just another form of the, the Christian bigotry that finds a scapegoat for their own darkness, that don't want to deal with it because they're too coward. And that's what I thought of the opinion. These are friends of mine for decades, cowards basically, because they don't want to face the journey. They need a certainty based on what a person who claim to be a scholar, a Bible scholar, mm -hmm. finally convinced them mm -hmm. that this is the safe path to take with God. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you could have opened up so much. But anyways, it's their journey. I mean, the mm -hmm. Montreal Vineyard faced it and finally came to a conclusion. But uh, all I wanted to say was like, well, thank you for sharing that and mm -hmm. for giving me room to Oh, also express this, my goodness, <laughs> but you can't fake it. You can rally people around a cause and stuff like that and they will do it because they don't yet know why they're picking a side they're picking, but at some point you have to pick a side. And you have to pick a side, and I love Peter's book title, Interpreting Toward Love, because that's, that's our calling, that's our invitation. That's what we are the recipient of, you know? So anyways, the journey is everything. And if people don't know the journey that uh, queer people go through, they'll just, it's just like, oh, you did just whatever. No, there's something really deep. I mean, you have to read the testimonies of those parents and, and, and the people themselves. I love how you said that, and I love how, if, like, so if I'm hearing you correctly, you allowed the story of a stranger mm. to have that amount of impact on you, or well, maybe involuntarily. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah it was like Incredible. a side away thing. Yeah. 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 May it be side. so more and more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can I add?
gift to the, to the, you know, there's this us and them, like the straights and the non-straights. This is a place to say, children, you can grow old and be queer. You can have success and love and good partnerships and you don't have to struggle with addiction or you can recover from addiction or all of these things. You can have uncles and aunties who, who are so loving and supportive. And I think, so this is gonna be led by youth and we're hoping to have elder queer kind of present and facilitating these Thank <laughs> you. 